This is Dubai Eye 103.8. Eddie Jordan, a man who many of you who follow F1 will know well. He was, of course, former team owner of Jordan Grand Prix, that between 1991 through to 2005. He is a former racer. He's now moved in to the world of media. Let's kick it off then, Eddie, because you are over here for the International Motor Show. Maybe give us a little bit of kind of background as to what has taken you over here and what is kind of piquing your interest down there at the World Trade Centre? Well, first of all, it's we're going through a huge transition, the automotive industry in many respects. Even even Formula One have announced that they're going green, and rightly so too. Um, but, you know, the Trade Centre here and with all the cars on display, so it's huge emphasis on, you know, how we're going to mobility for the future. Uh, of course, we have to reminisce a little bit and think about the past. So keep me occupied and keep me in work, I suppose. But, you know, there's a whole transition. It's a very exciting time. Some people will be left by the wayside and other people will grow into much bigger corporations than they already are. So it's a kind of a strange situation. We'll have to just wait and see because nobody really, really knows what's going to happen. Eddie, petrolhead enthusiasts are possibly a little a little wary and maybe a little worried about what the future holds for the automotive industry, given that, yeah. you know, the petrol engines are, are being phased out, you know, a lot of changes, as you say, going green. How will that impact Formula One? And are you yourself worried that the, the kind of purity of the racing will be further damaged? Well, you know, I've got, I'm coming from a stance where uh, I was brought up on uh, the smell of Castellor and, and racing like it was, uh, and of course it's changed. Am I disappointed? Yes, I am, because I think Formula One is not as exciting at the moment uh, as it should be, or that it has been. Um, however, having said that, we are somewhat lucky that you know, we have somebody of the style and the standard of Lewis Hamilton winning his sixth title. I think that's very positive for Formula One, irrespective of what his nationality is, it's just what he's doing and what he's creating is something magical. Um, so that's that positive aspect. On the negative aspect, I, I just, I, I, I've seen now for a great number of years Formula E, which is the electric version, and I just have to think, you know, it needs to grow and it needs to grow quickly. And I think it needs, you know, Formula One exists on a couple of things. It exists on power, it exists on noise. And, you know, it's just a sexy sport. We've got to be really careful that we don't kill that aspect of the business. Um, and we need people and families and children and mothers and daughters and everybody coming to Grand Prix racing. And I just feel at the moment that I think there are too many races uh, and very often um, less is more. In this case, they're doing it the other way around, uh, whereas I think they're making more or less uh, Purely my view, um, I don't want to be totally outspoken on this, but at the end of the day, I've got to say what I believe. And I think that um, I'm, I'm one of the creatures who believe that what Bernie Eccleston did um, wasn't all perfect, but he certainly had great vision and he was able to inspire and, and see. Like he was the first to come to the Middle East. He was the first to go to places like China and and. Uh, South America and various. He had a great vision, and um, I just believe that uh, at the moment we're trying to do everything. I mean, the latest I hear is going and doing a Grand Prix in a car park in the middle of Miami. I, I just don't see that. That that's not what I 
want to see happening of our sport going forward. It's interesting, Eddie, you mentioned there that less is more, and I must say I agree fundamentally with that. We've got Vietnam added to the calendar next year, which means even more racing. If we continue on this path, and I hate to do this, but we've got to, if changes are not coming, where does Formula One go in the next five years? Well, let's just tackle the Vietnam um Vietnam is obviously an exciting venue and they've obviously done their study and their homework and they're probably going to get the crowds there, hopefully. But there are some races that just aren't working. So they, they cancelled, for example, uh, Malaysia. Um, is China working? China's gone through a difficult period in terms of the whole environment there and uh, their commercial structure. So they're not getting the people to go to it. And will the promoters, will they cancel it? I don't know. What I don't really want to happen is suddenly we're going to a race um, in England or in Silverstone one week, one year, and then the following year it's cancelled. You know, I just, I want continuity and I want excitement. I want, I, I, I know what dates in my head at the Grand Prix, and I have done for the last 10, 20, 30 years. Now there's so many of them that I am actually confused and I don't know where I don't know where this is going to end. And um, uh, they're still talking about more and more races. Look, we also have to spend a little bit of time for the travelling. Uh, you have a very good, strong Scottish accent. I have to work work with that <laughs> horrible person, David Coulthard, on a regular yeah. basis. But, I, but actually, he is a genius. He's great. He's such good fun. And uh, I love working with this now, our 18th year together. So um, he is a much younger guy than me. He can handle it. But I cannot do 21 races all around the world. It's just too much for two. Uh, it's just not fair on the family, not fair on the kids growing up, education, or in my case, grandkids or whatever. Um, and what is going to happen with you're going to kill the, the enthusiasm, the belief, the strength, uh, the, you know, you don't want illnesses coming in. You want people to be happy and healthy. And when you're doing that amount of travel and you're stuck in an airplane and under the pressure that you are every weekend, by the time putting the tires on, getting the tires off, doing all the different pit, pit work that they need to do. And I'm not just talking, I am talking about the staff, but forget the drivers must be absolutely worn out. It's, just, it's too hard. It's, it's beyond what endurance should be. Let's appraise Lewis Hamilton if we can, Eddie. Of course, as you mentioned, he's just won his sixth world title. Looking ahead, and I know a lot of influential voices in the in the industry have already proclaimed him as the best that's ever done it. But if he is one day to surpass Michael Schumacher, he'll have to get past those 2021 regulations that are going to come in that might scupper his his current dominance in that Mercedes car. But where would you put him? I mean, where where do you place him in the pantheon when when you look back at all those greats like Schumacher and Senna? Well, um, you know, because I was particularly lucky because um, I, I, I got advised to get out of the driving thing by, by funnily enough, Nicky Lauda. We were all in the same team, and he said, Eddie, you'd be far better off running a team. And I thought he was being insulting to me. He didn't think I was good enough. He <laughs> did me the best favor I could possibly ever have done. And then he kind of had a guiding hand, and we were fabulously good pals. Um, so I miss him terribly, I must tell you. So does Lewis, by the way, because uh, he, Lewis wouldn't have won what he has already won without Nicky Lauda. So uh, a little uh, a little memory bank there because he was a great guy. But, you know, in 92, I gave a guy called De Silva his first ever drive in Formula 1, in Formula 3. 
And then, then very soon afterwards, Damon Hill, and then some years later, Michael Schumacher um, in, in 91 in Spa. But going back to the, um, to the, the 92 situation in Formula, Formula 3, um, the Silver changed his name after winning in Macau um, uh, when he was part of my team with uh, Marlborough and Dickie Bennett. Um, when he won Macau and he changed his name to Senna. So I have first-hand experience uh, of both Senna and Schumacher because they've both driven my cars. Um, of those two, I'm going to shock you or surprise you here, but I actually think um, my favourite, or my opinion, the best-ever driver is neither of those two. I actually think it was um, Alan Prost um, mm-hmm. because he won four world titles uh, he was beaten for one by half a point and in another championship by one point. So uh, why do I think he's better than Michael Schumacher, who won seven? And it's simple, because at the time, uh, and I, I don't want this to be sort of just a slagging somebody off, Michael Schumacher was an outstanding driver, but I just didn't like one aspect of what he did, and that was that he, he controlled, uh, through Ferrari and through Jean Todt, he controlled all the activities of his teammates. And, you know, at the time, whether it was Stefan Johansson or Jean Alessi, uh, Eddie Irvine, Barry Kello, Vissikela, uh, I managed all those drivers because they were all Jordan drivers. And, and they went to Ferrari. So I know what the contract was like. And uh, Michael Schumacher wouldn't allow a teammate in there if he didn't have the right to be able to request him to move over. And, you know, I think that's going against the brilliance that Michael Schumacher was. I think it just leaves a small little taste and I have difficulty. I want to say he's the best, um, but at the moment I do believe that Lewis Hamilton has, has passed him. Absolutely. Interesting. So for you then, Eddie, and listen, I bow down to your superior knowledge when it comes to all things F1. Alan Prost, for you, the greatest. And for you, Lewis Hamilton is even ahead of Michael. Ayrton no, no, I think now Lewis is ahead of him. I think Lewis is, I think already Lewis, the sixth championship. Okay, um, just on that then, Eddie. Now Lewis is number one. I would probably put Cross number two. And it's a toss-up between between Senna. You know, most people's heart will tell you that they want Senna. And they think he was the best because he was the darling of the crowd. He, he obviously, he, he died while racing, which has a, a, an impact. But, you know, he wasn't, we weren't able to see how great he really, really, really was because... You know, with the championships that he won, he could have done anything because he was such a... But he was a, a wonderfully nice person. And that's not to say that Michael Schumacher is not a nice person, but he was a different type of person. And, uh, you know, he, he he got things done for him and, and fair play. That, that, that involves power and ability, and you don't get to that level unless you're quite an awesome driver. So um, I don't want to say anything bad uh, or misleading about Michael. It's just that I think that Lewis Hamilton is already the best driver we've ever had. So why, Eddie? I mean, you know Lewis. You travel the world. You, you know him personally. Why is there a perception that he doesn't get the credit he deserves? Robbie and I discussed this in our very show last week. We had everyone from, he's not got a personality, the car, it's all too in, in his favour. What is it, your belief, that Lewis Hamilton does not get the universal acclaim that his achievements deserve? Well, um, well uh, it's a great question. Um, but uh, first of all, you're assuming, uh, by what you're saying, I believe there is an assumption there that that is uh, maybe the feeling uh, here in the Middle East or the feeling that you're getting globally. I think that he has, he has placed himself with a buffer. There's no doubt about that. 
whereas you know um uh michael had that too so so he was very hard to approach and very hard to get to uh whereas prost never had that and um that's much more appealing of course and it was much more appealing by far with senna because he, he was the darling of the crowd and people adored him um and and i think that i think the adoration now and the requirements let's go back to this thing too many races lewis hamilton is hounded night and day and so i think what he does is puts his headphones on and when he wants to go from the paddock to his garage um he just walks at a million miles an hour so no one actually stops him and i think that's uh you know it's very austere and it also puts up this barrier and it puts up a myth to believe that he doesn't want to speak to anyone or he doesn't want to do the interviews but actually when you're doing an interview with him he's absolutely fantastic but it happens too seldom i fully get where you're coming from and i can't put my finger on it as to why because i think if he opened up too much i think he'd be swamped um you know the problem is that i think that the world nowadays particularly has changed Everyone has a phone. Everyone wants a piece of the action. Everyone wants a photograph with several That wasn't always the case in the olden days when, you know, these racing drivers, you maybe get an autograph here, you do an autograph for about five or ten minutes and stuff like that, and, and then you would, you would naturally um, move on. So you're finished there. But I think with Lewis, you know, it, it's very intrusive, isn't it? You just cannot move. I mean, he did an opening here at a shopping mall, I believe, and the place was like as if, you know, the biggest stars in the world, whether they be actors or musicians or so, he's in that league and because everybody knows him. And I think he's become really, really big in the States because he's the first really driver. Um, and you remember he's, his family and people, they've come from the Caribbean. Um, his father worked in three different jobs to keep him alive. He certainly didn't come up with a golden spoon. So I believe that Lewis, um, when he... Uh, quits drivers he become an, uh, an amazingly nice person and I can promise you this I have worked with him on two particular given charities and he could not have done more he has been sensational giving up of his time looking after particularly if there's young kids who are you know on their last legs and they haven't got much chance in their dying wish which many things as uh, equivalent to you guys a guy called John Robbie in Cape Town or in Johannesburg, who has a great program, too, very similar to yours. Everybody listens and wants it. And, and he asked me, could he get this guy in front of Lewis? And Lewis spent the whole weekend with him at the British Grand Prix. And one of the sad things was I had to tell him that he had just died two weeks after that, and, and Lewis was destroyed. And, you know, so he, there is a very, very nice human being inside that facade. Eddie, the last three titles, he's gone up against Sebastian Vettel and, and he's bested Vettel in, in pretty much every department. I've got to ask you, do you think Lewis would have won the titles in a Ferrari? Oh, yes. Oh, God. Yeah, I think that Ferrari is a fantastic car. And uh, I think Ferrari have a good chance coming forward. Um, and I'm not going to give you a little scoop, but I think that uh, I know that Ferrari are desperate to get Max Verstappen. And I think if they could get Max Verstappen and Leclerc in there, that would be uh, a great job for Ferrari. Because uh, at the end of the day, most people want Ferrari to, to win races. And at the moment, um, Vettel, he's hot and cold, isn't he? I mean, he, he's mama. You never know what you're getting. And uh, whereas Leclerc is such a really high-quality individual, and boy, can he drive that car. He is going to be a big star. But the, the real darling of the lot and the future world champion um, is obviously Max Verstappen, who most people would like to see possibly in a Ferrari and certainly not in the Mercedes, where, you know, I know Mercedes will roll the boat out to try and get him.
Charles Leclerc coming into Ferrari and, uh, and in many ways overshadowing Sebastian Vettel this season. Do you feel like a, a significant comeback is beyond Vettel now? Uh, I, I do. He has recovered a little bit. I mean, Singapore and a few other races, you know, he he, he spat the dummy, didn't he? And he just didn't uh, <laughs> didn't ingratiate himself um, for, for a, a nice guy. And he now fully sees that, that uh, Leclerc is ahead of him in the pecking order. And if he hasn't seen that, um, but even as a driver, you're always supposed to believe you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. Um, I mean, he, he's not totally blind. He can see the figures. He sees the results every race, every testing, every qualifying and every moment that go in the car. And Leclerc is a little bit ahead of him. So um, I think he's on borrowed time. If it was me with all the championships that he's got, I'd, I'd retire, go, go quickly. I think it's a great thing in life, and that is know when to go. Um, and, and never leave it too long because then people get upset or they get just bitter and stuff like that. And he's been a great champion. I'd rather remember him as he was um, rather than seeing him struggle over the future and just be beaten on a weekly basis uh, by his teammate. That wouldn't be helpful. This is Dubai I 103.8.